Well, hey everyone, good morning, and welcome to Resurrection City Church. My name is Joel, I am one of the pastors here at Res City, and if it's your first time joining us, whether here in person or online, just want to say special welcome to you on this very nice Sunday morning, very very sunny, it's going to get into the high 50s or 60s today, so I am very, very excited, I'm in a good mood um, about, about all that, and I hope you are too, so... I want to start today's sermon by um, asking you to think of the Bible as if it's a multivitamin, or kind of, kind of think, think in those terms about the Bible. Now, with a multivitamin, which you should all be taking every single morning, um, Julie and I, we have multivitamins that are basically gummy bears. So if, if you're like, I don't know why I would take a multivitamin, just think about eating gummy bears every morning, and I can't believe that they, that they make them like that. That's incredible. Um, but... Okay, multivitamins are something you should, as a part of, of a healthy diet for every adult, and, and we, we need them, right? All the vitamins that are contained in them are supposed to kind of all together sort of form to, com- to combine to make us healthier people. That's why we're, we're told by doctors to take a multivitamin every morning. Now imagine you did this, but for whatever reason, you decided to screen a certain vitamin out of your multivitamin. I don't know how you would do it, but imagine that you said, I don't want to take vitamin A for whatever reason, so I'm going to screen that part out of my multivitamin. Eventually, after doing this long enough, you would have a vitamin A deficiency, assuming you didn't get it from some other part of your diet, and that would make you a less healthy person overall. Okay, that's the, the point of a multivitamin is to give us these things we need in order to be fully healthy adults. But if you were to screen a certain vitamin out, you would be less healthy than you could be or you should be as an adult for doing that. Now, we do this, I would submit, with the Bible all the time. Okay? Reading the whole Bible, everything that is, that is given to us in the Bible is important for our healthy development Right, there's a reason that everything that is in the Bible is in there. God has given us this book uh, in its fullness so that we can read the whole thing and understand everything that's within it. That's, that's the point. And we are not as healthy of Christians when we are screening out certain parts of the Bible. We have to be willing to read the whole thing in its fullness and, and not uh, screen things out because when we do we become less healthy, just like if we were to screen a vitamin out of a multivitamin. We're not fully rounded out. And that starts to open us up to uh, be vulnerable to being discipled or intaking other things that actively make us less unhealthy because we're not protecting against those things by a healthy, full diet of reading our full Bibles. All right, so it's important for us to not, uh, to, to understand things we might be, you know, unintentionally or intentionally not reading in our Bibles because we're missing the fullness of what's in there. And if we truly believe that that book is a book that has been given to us by God and that nothing in there is, is incidental or accidental or, or, or not there for some use or for some purpose, then we're going to miss everything that God is wanting us to glean from that. Now today we're going to come to uh, a place in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's a it's a mini sermon series that we've we've been uh, we're going through right now. That's part of a larger sermon series on biblical wisdom. We're going to come to a place in the book of Ecclesiastes where the teacher, the author of the book, is going to talk about justice. And I think that if, if we're honest with ourselves, that there are at least 
segments of the church that have sort of screened out this really important theme of justice that is in the Bible, for whatever reason. It, it could be uh, b- because of um, a place that you come from in your life. It could be because of political convictions that you have, whatever it is. There are, for whatever reason there is, that we've kind of, a large segment of Christians have screened this part out of the Bible or have really not um, taken enough of it in to have a healthy dose of it. But it's in there, okay? And and I want us to really weigh into that because it's an important part of the message of what the teacher, the author of Ecclesiastes, is trying to tell us. And, and because it's in other places in the Bible, it's an important thing that God wants us to be reading about as well. So we're going to talk about that today. Just a bit of a recap. The book of Ecclesiastes is, is a book in the wisdom literature, and it kind of takes what we've been reading in Proverbs, which is this sort of very positive outlook on the world. If you do this, then God's going to bless it. He's going to reward you. And if you don't do this, then you'll have a consequence to it. That's a big part behind the, the book of Proverbs, and it's exhorting us to use wisdom as a way to sort of uh, tap into the way that God has uh, created the world. Now, as Julie said last week, um, Ecclesiastes is like, what happens when you let the pessimists get to weigh in on this issue, all right? And Julie had a really good uh, way of uh, introing that part of the book, uh, I think, last week. But Ecclesiastes is taking a really honest look and kind of asking some hard questions about what we found in the book of Proverbs. And we think it's, it's important that we take all of this in to sort of get a healthy view, again, a healthy view of what the Bible is saying about what wisdom is, which is why we're throwing this book in along with Proverbs and why we'll be doing Job and then the Song of Songs to round out this sermon series. Now remember, wisdom is about creating this environment of flourishing. Uh, It creates something that we all enjoy. And we start to think about environments that are created by our actions, by our attitudes, by our beliefs. We're going to naturally come up on the topic of justice, right? Now this is, I think, a relevant topic for us to be discussing at this time and on this Sunday um, for a lot of reasons. Obviously, it's a big issue in our society right now. And as Julie talked about earlier this morning, the, the trial for George Floyd's murder starts tomorrow. So we're naturally asking all these questions around the topic of justice. And I think as Christians, we want to ask the question, what does the Bible have to say about this? And again, when we screen out what the Bible says about justice, it leaves us hanging. It, it leaves us without the ability to connect what the Bible says to what's going on in our everyday life. And that's why it's important for us to be healthy, full readers of it. And it's why we wanted to spend a full sermon on it in, in this book of Ecclesiastes. Now, before we get into it, though, I think it's important for us to ask this question, what is biblical justice? What do we mean when we talk about that? Because it's such an, an important topic in society right now, everyone's talking about it, but it, you know, there's not always a good definition for what justice is supposed to be, or people aren't always using the term in the same way. So I think it's important for us as we engage in this question, as the Bible talks about it, to ask ourselves, what is biblical justice? When the Bible discusses justice, what is it talking about? And I think we get a really healthy or helpful example of this from uh, someone named Gregory of Nyssa. He is a, uh, a Christian Um, Oh, hold on, we got the slides out of order here a little bit. All right, so Gregory of Nyssa, who is asking us this question, uh, uh, or or, or helping us answer this question in his time, writing in the late 300s AD. 
And um, it's, it's ironic. He's writing it in the, in the, what would be modern-day Turkey nowadays. And Gregory, he's giving a homily, which is like a, a sermon in, in that time, on actually, ironically, the book of Ecclesiastes in chapter 2. And we're not going to read that today necessarily, but um, what we find there is that the teacher, the, the author of the book, is trying out all these different things to sort of, because he feels like everything is, is meaningless. Everything is, is smoke. It's vapor wisping around him. You can't grasp it. He, he said, I tried all these different different things to give me pleasure. And he lists all these things that he, he, he tried out to give him pleasure, to find something in the world to give his life meaning. And he says one of the things that he, he did is he took on all these slaves to sort of help him out, to get him pleasure. And Gregory seizes on this it, it, when he's giving this homily in the late 300s, and he rips, rips the teacher to shreds because he took on these slaves. And as he does so, he gives us a really a good example of what the Bible has to say about why slavery is such an abhorrent idea. And basically he says that in the beginning, in Genesis 1, when we, when we find that God has created the whole world and he's created humanity, that um, all humans are created to rule over and subdue creation. They're equal, Okay, there's no distinction between them in terms of their worth or their value to God, and they're created together to rule over the creation that God has put over them. And, 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 and so humans have this dignity because they're made in God's image, but they're also supposed to image God by exercising this degree of rule over the rest of creation. Now, Gregory says, here's what you're doing when you take slavery, is you're taking that command to rule to, to reign over wisely over creation. And what you're doing is you're breaking the, the divine decree of God himself by saying you can rule over other humans. Because that's one part of creation that God never said that you were able to rule over, right? You're supposed to be equal with one another and together reign over and subdue the rest of creation. But what you've done is you've said, we can take this thing that God told us not to rule over, other humans, and we decided to, to treat them as if they're animals. We've decided to put a price value on their head, a way to, to give them value or worth like there's something else in creation other than the thing that God made them to be. And, and basically, essentially, what Gregory says is you're creating a new law. You're playing God. And that is not biblical justice. It is taking what God has created for equality in the world and it is, it is ripping it to shreds, okay? And so this question of, of what, what biblical justice is, it, it starts with what injustice is. So if injustice is creating a, a, a sort of playing field that doesn't resemble the one of dignity and reign in the garden, then biblical justice is taking these injustices that are created, that are added onto the decree that God has given in creation, whether they're laws, whether they're systems, whether they're attitudes about other groups of people, or blindness to bias uh, towards a certain group of people, and going as far as is necessary to remove them and restore it so that people are living in the way that God had originally intended. Okay, that's what biblical justice is. And it has a keen understanding of the fact that the effects of sin have made that mean that for some people or some groups of people, we need to maybe go a little bit farther than others because of the, the compounding of sin and injustice that has come on them. We sometimes have to go to greater lengths to make that possible. Okay, we have to really uh, be committed to working towards it, to not make it a small thing. 
And, and, and so this idea of doing justice is, is a really important part of the Bible. And it's an important part of wisdom too. We talked about this a few weeks ago with, with Solomon and how he had taken on these slaves himself and he was, in a sense, rejecting his own wisdom. Because okay? in the book of Proverbs that he wrote, he actually talks a lot about justice. Okay? In God's ideal vision for the world, which wisdom is supposed to help us to find, justice is actually a main part of that. And I read uh, Proverbs 31, verses 8 and 9, where, where, where the author says, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. And that's just one place in the book of Proverbs where we actually find the, the theme of justice brought out as being an essential part of wisdom. Okay, so this is important. This is important. We are called to live wisely to do justice. Okay, whatever that looks like for us, okay? It's gonna look different for us depending on the different spheres of influence and opportunities that are presented to us. Some of us will have more opportunities than others, but we all are supposed to seek it out in our friendships, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces. If we have, you know, we've been given the right to vote in this country. That's not always been true of people throughout, throughout history, but we need to think about how we can use our opportunities and what's been given to us to sort of act wisely and to do justice, to do biblical justice, okay? And injustice is, 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 is environment-oriented. It's not just you-oriented, all right? It's not just finding justice for you. I think that's how we, we think about justice a lot of times. It's trying to make things fair for me, but it's really about going and seeking that out for others, all right? Putting them ahead of ourselves. That's the whole idea behind biblical justice. Now, the big idea that, um, that the teacher, the author of Ecclesiastes, wants to give for us today is this, that injustice is everywhere, okay? He, uh, the author wants us to recognize that despite this call for justice to be done in the world, there actually has been a, a total uh, failure of that. It, it, injustice is so widespread that the hope of undoing it, and this is the big, the big point I was going to read today, for the, at least for the teacher, the hope of undoing it is itself, it's itself hevel, that word that shows up in Ecclesiastes so often that we translate as meaningless. It actually means more vapor or smoke, something we can't really grasp a hold of. Okay? The, uh, the teacher wants to tell us that doing justice in a world that is so filled with injustice it's hevel, right? It, it's impossible to grasp a hold of because it is so uh, suffused it's in, in the world. It feels meaningless to even try to do it. Okay, that's the big point that the, the, that the teacher wants to make today. So I want us to really lean into that point, but then I want to put what he says into the context of what the rest of the Bible has to say about justice as well. So that's going to be our sermon uh, this Sunday morning. So let's get into what the teacher says here. We'll start in chapter four, Ecclesiastes verse, uh, chapter four, verses one to three. And here's what he says. Again, I observed all the oppression that takes place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed with no one to comfort them. The oppressors have great power and their victims are helpless. So I concluded that the dead are better off than the living. But the, the most fortunate of all are those who have not yet been born for they have not seen all the evil that is done under the sun. So here's what he's saying is, is there are oppressors everywhere, right? And, 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 and if we really look at history, and we really look at what's going on, we know that nothing is going to change. They're going to continue to keep oppressing people, 
right? They're going to continue to keep them under their thumb. Whether it's something they're intentionally doing or whether it's something they're unintentionally doing, it's going to keep going. If we know anything about history, we know that this is true. We know whole societies are built on injustice, right? It's how, it's how often societies even run is the fact that there are injustices that are going on where some people benefit and some people don't. And the people who, who do benefit don't want to change anything because why would they? They have all the power. They don't have to change anything, so why would they, right? That's something we've seen of all societies throughout all of human history. So why would we have this hope of seeing it undone, all right? Um, and, and, and so the teacher has this really hopeless view that, that things won't change, so there's really no hope of injustice going out anywhere, Right? And, and you can imagine him saying, like, even if you did take down an oppressor, even if you said, let's get together, let's form a sort of group of people who are going to overthrow the old uh, oppressor, he would just say, well, injustice is just like weeds. It's just going to pop up somewhere else. Right? If you pull a, a weed out of one part of your yard, you can be sure that it's going to pop up in another part of your yard. All right? There's, these weeds aren't going anywhere, and injustice is just like that. And he might even say, sadly, what, what else we've seen throughout so much of history is that oftentimes when, when, when an oppressed group of people overthrow oppressors, they themselves oftentimes end up doing oppression themselves. They end up taking on injustice themselves. They become oppressors also. And, and as Miroslav Volf says, it creates a world of, uh, without innocence. All right? It just, everyone is wrapped up into this system of injustice that the whole world is sort of built upon that we can't find anyone who, who ends up being truly innocent. And the teacher goes so far as to say it's so bad that it would be just better if no one were even born in the first place because then you wouldn't get to experience it. But perhaps we could even say that often the unborn <laughs> find injustice, right? We, we talk about abortion as an important thing to God because we feel it's an injustice to these these unborn children, right? It, it's something that we just can't escape. And so, so it, it, for the teacher, he sees it everywhere. Now, perhaps you might say, well, what about the justice system? What about these courtrooms that are set up to try and uh, keep this from happening? And for the teacher, we actually will go back a chapter to chapter three, we find that um, the problem is actually magnified not fixed when we introduce the justice system or courtrooms. That's to him at least. This is what he says. So he says, I also notice that under the sun that there is evil in the courtroom. Yes, even the courts of law are corrupt, I said to myself. In due season, perhaps God will judge everyone, both good and bad, for all their deeds. So he says that the places where justice is supposed to take place, right? That, that's, that's, it's in the name. <laughs> he says in these places the, themselves, they actually become places where even greater injustice takes place, okay? Because they actually prop up the oppressors instead of shutting them down, right? It's like, it's like a parent whose job is supposed to care for both of their kids, but in, you know, we see this in movies like Harry Potter, or, or sorry, books like Harry Potter, um, or in movies like Cinderella, right? It's these parents, it's their job to make sure that the kids are treated fairly, but actually the parents themselves sort of prop up the system that keeps it so one kid is sort of uh, held below the other one. That's what's kind of going on here, he says, is the places where justice is supposed to take place, it's their job to create a fair and equitable society. They themselves perpetrate the injustice so much that you could argue that even greater injustice is taking place there. 
And so in verse 17, the teacher says, um, well, you know, perhaps God will judge. But if we read this, and if you read other parts of the book of Ecclesiastes, it kind of feels hollow. It doesn't really feel like he's, you know, he's wholeheartedly saying that he believes this, all right? Um, it kind of might actually even be sarcasm, right, if you really dig into the rest of what he says. And, and it really just, it seems like that the teacher is this, someone who's disillusioned with the religious tradition that he's grown up in. You really get that sense as you read the book of Ecclesiastes. And, and one commentator, Tremper Longman, says that the teacher of Ecclesiastes is a doubting wisdom teacher who struggles with the religious traditions of Israel, specifically with how their teachings square with human experience. And so you get the sense that he's kind of like a modern-day skeptic in a lot of ways, right? He's grown up in a certain tradition, um, but he just really can't wholeheartedly embrace it. He doesn't really feel like it accurately describes the way that the world is, all right? And to give you a better sense of what kind of guy this is, right, uh, to kind of, he wants to prove his point no matter what. So, so imagine someone comes to him and says, hey, you know, I can actually think of some judges or some courtrooms where I have seen true justice. They actually are committed to it, right? That's their goal. He goes even further and he says, he says this, that death itself is the great equalizer, the great proof that there's no such thing as justice. He says in verses 18 and 19, I also thought about, how, about the human condition, how God proves to people that they are like animals, for people and animals share the same fate. Both breathe and both must die. So people have no real advantage over the animals. How meaningless, how meaningless this is. Right? He says, death just proves to us that really no one is any different than anyone else. Right? Death makes justice even more meaningless, even more unable to be grasped to the teacher. Okay? The, the sad truth to him is this, that at the end of the day, no matter who you are, you could be Martin Luther King Jr., you could be Abraham Lincoln, you could be Adolf Hitler, you could be a slave owner or the slave themselves. At the end of the day, we all die and there's no difference between any of us and a mosquito that you just kind of casually squat out of annoyance. At the end of the day, death itself, to the teacher at least, proves that there is no such thing as justice in the world. There is no sort of hope for us in this sort of, world that is filled with injustice. That's the message that he's giving us here today. Now, I want to talk about what we do with this, okay? Because it's, it's depressing. It, 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 I don't know a better word to describe it than just depressing to read what he has to say here. I want to I talk about what he's saying here, how we can really lean into it, but how we can put it in the context of the rest of the story of the Bible, okay? So let, let's do that. First of all, the main takeaway, or, the, or one, of the, the, one of the two main takeaways I have for you today is this, that the wise know that justice is often crooked. Okay, justice bends and it curves and it doesn't go right where it should, but even if it does, it just takes way too long to get there. Right? That's justice in the world. And I think the teacher is saying this to us and we have to listen very clearly to what he's saying. Okay, we have to lean into it. We can't dismiss this. Now, what, but what, what causes us to dismiss this or effectively dismiss this in the world? I want to talk about that for just a second, okay? First of all, just outright dismisses, dismissal. And I think um, one of the reasons that we find ourselves doing this so often today is what we could call the, the, this idea of maybe inherited injustice, all right? So I think a lot of people uh, uh, feel like, yeah, I can see that the world isn't totally fair. I can see that there's some problems in it, but 
that's just the way the world was made by somebody else. I didn't do anything. At least I, didn't, I don't think I did anything to make the world like this. So it's not my problem. All right? It's unfair of you to say I've got to do something about this problem because someone else set up the system this way. And it's true, right? Oftentimes, the types of injustice that we might observe in the world are not our, are not our fault, all right? Or they're not, or, or it, it's not something that we started, not something that we were active in, in creating in the world, right? Nobody in America was alive today that helped start the slave trade. It's true, okay? That, that is true, okay? Most people think that I'm not racist, all right? I don't have any sort of racist attitudes, perhaps, so I'm kind of, you know, in the clear here, all right? I don't have anything to do with this. But I think this is important for us to think about, to, to cause us to not dismiss this idea, is we're inheritors of this, all right? Whether we like it or not, it's, it, sure, maybe it's not your fault, but the fact that you you have inherited this means I think you still have responsibility to do something about it, right? You don't have to be at fault for something to take responsibility for it, okay? So if this is a reason that you find yourself sometimes thinking, I don't need to engage in justice because it's not my fault, okay? I want to challenge you to say the Bible doesn't make any sort of distinction like that, all right? Proverbs says, if you want to be wise, you seek out injustice in the world. It doesn't matter. You seek out justice in the world where there's injustice. It doesn't really matter if you had anything to do with bringing that about or not. Okay? Um, as, as inheritors, we have a responsibility to wisely deal with it. And it sucks, right? I wish the world wasn't this way. I think we all do. We wish the world wasn't filled with injustice. We wish it's not something that we had inherited. Okay? But it's what we've been born into. All right? And oftentimes, we are far more complicit with injustice in the world than we might think at first glance. And as we start to really dig into it, we find that that's, that's the case, right? That, that the conditions that have made the world the way it is have also formed us as well. We have to reckon with that. We have to ask ourselves in, in, in which way we're a part of this. Now, I think oftentimes, at least for people in this congregation, I would imagine, and in the city that we're living in right now, most people aren't super dismissive of justice, right? Like we've said, it's a popular thing right now to talk about it. Everyone is thinking about it. And so I think most of you probably don't have that mindset, okay? But I think what you probably often do feel is a tension, all right? And I want to talk about that tension that you feel. On the one hand, you are seeing in the world that there is injustice, right? It's impossible to not see it if you're on social media, right? That's one of the, the, the great and also terrible things about social media and smartphones in the world is that we see injustice everywhere, right? Whether it's in our own city that we didn't know was going on or in other parts of the world far away from us. We can't help but see the fact that injustice is everywhere, that the, that the claim that the teacher is making in Ecclesiastes is true, Right? We see it clearly. I think we all probably recognize that that's the case. But here's, here's, here's the other thing that we know is true. We, don't, we often ourselves don't feel that consistent sting. Many of us, at least, who are going to be hearing this, don't feel the consistent sting of injustice. And what we can do is we have the option to retreat into a sheltered world where we don't feel it. Okay, we can turn our phones off. We can, whatever, disengage from the internet. We don't have to watch the news. We can, we can go to a place where we're not actively feeling it. And so I think what that tension in us often causes us to do is to treat justice like it's a kind of a fad, right? Like it's something that while everyone else is talking about it, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think it's cool too, but when it's not pressing on me because I can retreat from it, I'm going to probably do that because it's a lot easier, 
all right? And we feel that tension oftentimes, and I think this is our response. Because we can retreat, we'll respond as long as it's cool, but once it's not anymore, we're going to kind of remove ourselves. And I think what we often find ourselves looking like like in those situations is like the, the sluggard or the lazy person in the book of Proverbs. If you uh, didn't hear that sermon, we talked about that uh, a few weeks ago, sort of examples of foolishness that the, the book of Proverbs gives us. And there's a certain a type of foolishness that Proverbs talks about that says it, it wants to do the least amount of work to get the full reward. And I think oftentimes we know that there's injustice in the world and we want to find what are some things we can do to like get the reward of being seen as a good person and righteous, looking like I care about this, but still at the end of the day being able to really retreat from it because we have that option, okay? And so that's, I think, what happens a lot of times is we, we, we treat justice like a fad, we give a skin-deep response, but once it's not cool anymore, we kind of remove ourselves from it. And I want to challenge you that... Um, when you only like justice because it's the cool thing that everyone's talking about, that's not really doing justice, okay? That's not the type of justice that the Bible is challenging us to champion. And really, if you think about it, all right, if you, if you think about it, injustice being everywhere else except maybe where you're at, um, and, and that kind of being the, the, the truth of the world, even though you can retreat from it, still creates a world that feels meaningless. It still feels hevel, like smoke or something we can't grasp a hold of, okay? And, and let, me, let me explain why. In a world where, where injustice inbound, uh, abounds, we can be sure that our success is not always coming because of our hard work or because of who we are, right? If it's true that the world is unjust and some people benefit in ways that others don't, you can't rest on the fact that maybe you worked hard or you have some talent or you, know, you have these achievements that you can point to that, that, are bec- that you've, you, you feel like you've attained because it's always gonna be true that there's probably some of that in there for the people that do attain it, that there's been some sense in which injustice has contributed to it. Okay, and so, um, and so like the world where you think your hard work is the thing that has given you everything you have is, is not actually true, right? The, and so this idea that a world where you work hard and everyone who works hard can get a reward from it is not actually the world that exists. And so it makes us start to feel that our own hard work maybe isn't worth quite as much as we think it is, right? That's the type of world that, it, that it, we actually live in when injustice abounds. And because injustice abounds and because a lot of times we're not willing to do anything about it, there's always the chance that you could lose it from your hard work, right? And no one would bat an eye because that's the world we're living in and you've turned a blind eye to it because you've said, well, I've been benefiting it from it from this long, so I'm not gonna really do anything about it and then you find yourself a victim of it, okay? That's actually the world that we live in, okay? And so if we're unwilling to do something about injustice, we're gonna find ourselves um, also, you know, at the end of the day, really feeling like, Things are kind of meaningless, right? Things don't actually really matter as much as I might have thought because of the injustice in the world, all right? So that's what the author of of the book of Ecclesiastes, the teacher, wants us to really grapple with. And I hope you're really grappling with it today, okay? These are the depressing observations, observations by the teacher. And what they do when we start to expand it outside of the book of Ecclesiastes is we find that there is concurrence here between what the author says and the rest of the Bible as well, okay? There is no justice because of sin. So the Apostle Paul, for example, in Romans 3.10, he says, there is no one righteous, not even one. 
Now, the word righteous is a word we hear a lot of times, and I think what we, we think it means is we kind of give it a narrow meaning to mean uh, a moral quality, right? Good rule following or uh, not, you know, not worshiping wrong, you know, bad idols or something like that. And that's all true, okay? But it's, it's a fuller word than just that. So the word righteousness in the Greek is the word dikaios. And that word is also applied to justice in the Greek world. It also was used to describe the justice system in the Greek world, places where justice was supposed to take place, all using that same word, dikaios. So when Paul uses the word uh, to say there's no one righteous, not even one, he also means that there's no justice in the world. No one in the world is truly just. Okay, we all contribute to injustice in the world. And Right? Let's think about this. Right? Remember I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon that the teacher, the one who's, the one who's calling us to understand that the world is this unjust place, right? that ju- injustice is everywhere, he himself owned slaves. Right? So he couldn't, he couldn't say, well, just because I notice injustice and I'm telling you all about it doesn't mean I contribute to it. Right? He himself was a part of the problem in taking the slaves on. All right? That just shows us the depth to which injustice is everywhere. Okay? And so what the teacher is saying fits everything else that the Bible is saying about ju- injustice and sin. All right? So any honest search for justice has to start with a look at ourselves and how we might contribute to it. Right? It has to cause us to look deep within our hearts and ask, how has sin caused me to contribute to injustice in the world? Okay? Injustice can't be something that's just out there and not also in here. Right? If injustice is out there, the Bible says, that means it's also in here as well. It's in us. If it's in other people, it's in us as well. And so the Bible is calling us to really reckon with this problem of injustice. And because it's in all of us, there truly is no place on earth now or at any time after the fall where true justice has been the norm, okay? Where the truth always comes out, where the needs of all are taken into consideration, where those who who have power don't ignore the tug for acknowledgement of the minority or or the oppressed, where those who experience oppression aren't in some way twisted by, by the oppression done to them where people don't look to themselves first, where justice movements don't ultimately peter out because it's a fad or, or something goes wrong. They become the oppressors themselves, right? And so we, if we're gonna read this book of Ecclesiastes and read what the author here says, well, we, are gonna, we should be joining the teacher in lament and frustration, all right? We should not move to dismiss it just because it's not a ho- happy, hopeful message. Okay? We have to join him in lament and recognizing the fact that there is injustice everywhere. Okay, but once we get to that point, there's another question we have to ask. And that question is, well, what is God doing about injustice? Right? The, the teacher didn't seem to think a whole lot. If you read the whole book of Ecclesiastes, he doesn't really have a whole lot of hope that all the stuff that he's been talking about has any real hope in it, okay? He's, he, he, it's, not a happy, it's not a fun book to read, okay, because there's no happy ending to anything he says. Okay, so that naturally makes us ask the question, well, what is God doing about injustice in the world? You know, clearly he sees it. He put it in his Bible. What's he doing about it? What is our hope in this? And what I want to do to answer that question is I want to go to maybe a surprising place. We're going to go to the last book of the Bible to talk about God's response to injustice, the book of Revelation, 
And this is a book that is all about telling us the way the world is, according to God, using very vivid, vivid imagery, okay, by symbols and sort of arresting images to sort of grasp a hold of us, to, to show us the way the world is, according to God. And, and so when we go to chapter four of Revelation, we find that uh, the, the, the writer of the book, a guy named John, He's brought into this vision of this heavenly court, okay? The place where God himself sits on his throne and rules. And surrounding him are all of these angels who are, who are um, praising him. And, who, and, and the radiance is just, it's amazing, right? It's a place where God's will fully takes place, where, where true justice is taking place. And, it's in, and the world is untouched by the effects of the fall, by, by sin and injustice, right? We're, we're, we're firmly in God's space here. Right? The, the place that had created the world in the first place. Where, the place where this mandate to do justice in the world that was given to humanity at the very beginning came from. It came from this, this space here. And, and there's this scroll that, that, that God has. And this scroll is supposed to be sort of his summons for how to bring what's going on in God's space to earth. This, once the scroll is unopened, it's going to tell how God's uh, glory and righteousness and justice will come to earth. How the space that he is in will fill our space here on earth. Okay, that's what's going on. And so John is, he's sitting there and he, he's, he's delighted to see the scroll. But what he finds is that there is, uh, there is no place, there's nobody, I mean, who is able to open the scroll up. And to, and to make uh, God's will come to earth, okay? There are these seven seals on it. They can't be broken because no one is worthy to open the scroll up. And so what John does, we're told, is he, I wept and I wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Okay, no one is able to make God's will for justice and righteousness and redemption come to earth. And it says, he wept and he wept because of it. Okay, John in that moment, he you can imagine him feeling that justice and righteousness on earth are meaningless. They're hevel. They can't be grasped the hold of. Okay? It's elusive to the point of being meaningless to try to grasp it. And so we see this sort of despair wash over him, and he bursts into tears, right? Like, like, like the teacher is telling us, right? This, this despair that, that this is the way that the world is, and there's no hope for, for undoing it. Okay? But then suddenly, and suddenly, he hears a voice, and it says, John, I want you to let all of the despair you feel wash out of you. There is someone who can bring God's will, his justice to earth, someone who can break these seals on the scroll to open it and make God's will flow into earth to fill our space. And it's not a politician, it's not any of the other saviors we like to appoint for ourselves here on earth to put our hope in to bring true justice to earth. Here's who it is. Then one of the elders, one of the angels around God said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain. So when John looks up, 
to see who is this person who is worthy to open the scroll, to bring God's justice to earth. He sees a lamb with a large gash on its neck, okay? As is customary with a ritual sacrifice, that's the word that's being used here, is to describe a ritual sacrifice that would be done to lambs um, to bring about atonement. And the white wool of this, the brilliant white wool of this lamb is stained red from the blood, And here's what's going on. Here's what's going on here with this, okay? Remember, I said biblical justice is going as far as is possible and as far as is necessary to remove injustices and restore people in the world to truly image God and his design, okay? And if God were gonna do something about the teacher's observation, it would be judgment on all of us, as we've talked about, okay? It would not be, it would not be a happy ending for us because we've all, we're all a part of this problem, even the teacher himself, And so when people ask, why doesn't God do something? Um, The answer is we'd all get canceled, right? We would all get canceled by God if he were gonna do something about this, okay? But God, in bringing about justice to earth, he wants to do something else. He wants to redeem creation, not cancel it, which means if he's gonna do this justice, he has to go as, as far as is necessary to make it possible, And so Jesus goes as as far as is necessary to bring justice, to restore those who are unjust so they can perform justice. He goes as as far as is necessary to bring it by taking God's just penalty for injustice on himself, even though he himself is completely innocent of it. Okay, he himself has done nothing to make justice crooked in the world, yet he takes the penalty for it to make it so true justice can actually flow. Okay, the lamb is innocent of the teacher's charge in the book of Ecclesiastes, yet he's treated as if he perpetrated the injustice that the teacher saw. And so we find that the teacher's sort of half-hearted acknowledgement of God's justice is fulfilled. He does do something about injustice, but that's in restoring it in people and promising to set it straight in us through the lamb. And so what we find here is that God uses the injustice of the cross that this penalty is brought on someone who is innocent of it to straighten the crooked justice of humanity. And in doing so, he restores creation, okay? He, he redeems us, he restores us, he justifies us so that we can be justice bringers now in God's world, okay? The righteousness of God is God's powerful activity of making right what is wrong in the world. That's what Fleming Rutledge says. And Eric Mason says, you have to be intrinsically changed by God in order for justice to be done. Okay, God's answer to injustice in the world is to take people and the systems that they touch that are filled with injustice and to make them just by sacrificing himself on the cross for us so that our injustices can be paid for and we can be redeemed, we can be recreated, we can be made new to go out and be people who do bring justice. Okay, that's God's answer to the teacher. So if we return to his cry, our job is to take it seriously, to not screen it out because it continues to be everywhere and to fully join him in lamenting it, okay? But then we're called to go further than the teacher to find hope in God who opens the scroll to bring his justice to earth by redeeming and justifying us so that we may contribute to justice taking place in God's world by making us new, And while the teacher found no one worthy who can make this happen, it was all hevel, it was all hopeless, God has determined that Jesus is himself worthy. 
So we as Christians, if we care about justice in the world, we have to start by turning to Jesus, by, by looking to him to make us clean and pure and to transform us so that we can go then go out and be a part of God's purpose to bring about justice in the world we're in now. And we won't bring it fully, okay? All of our efforts, as, 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 as much as we try, will, will, will ultimately not be enough but Christ himself will return. The slain lamb who sits on the throne in the book of John will, or the book of Revelation will one day return and bring about full justice in this whole earth. And what we're doing now is we're living that out in the present, trying to anticipate what is true in heaven and what will be true here on earth someday as much as we possibly can. All right, so what I want us to do today is I want us to reflect on this question. Where am I maybe dismissing injustice in God's world? Where am I not taking what the teacher says seriously? Is there, is there somewhere where I'm doing that? Is there somewhere where I'm dismissing or I'm kind of uh, you know, moving on because it's easy to move on because I can for some reason? Okay? And, 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 and where can I bring about God's righteousness to the world? Okay, as someone who has been justified, who has been made new by Jesus, where can I be a part of bringing that justice? And if you're watching this or listening to this right now and you have not experienced that transformation that comes in Jesus, comes in the one who has been slain on our behalf, I just want to ask you to, to pray to God about that, to ask him to, to bring about that justice, to justify you, to make you new, to cleanse you of your sin of injustice and to call on him for mercy and grace because he will offer it to you as, as a part of his desire to bring justice to his earth. It is freely given. It is not earned. It has nothing to do with your contribution to making the world crooked. It has everything to do with God's contribution to straighten that out through the injustice of the cross. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you don't just look at the world and 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 let the injustice continue. Lord, you do something about it. You, you open the scroll. You bring your will and your justice to earth through the lamb who is slain on our behalf, God. We don't deserve it, Lord, because we all contribute to injustice in the world. Lord, we're, we're all a part of the problem. But you offer to us the opportunity to be set free from it, to be made new, and to bring justice in whatever sphere that we can, to live in accordance with the wisdom and, and, and the mandate that was given uh, when the world was created, Lord. Help us to, to, to not dismiss that call that has been put on us for those of us who call you Lord, um, and, and help us to be a part of justice in the world. Lord, help us to know what that looks like in our individual spaces, Lord. It's going to look different for us in different places depending on where you call us, but help us to know where we can do that so that we can fulfill this call for justice well. We pray all this in the name of the Lamb who was slain on our behalf. Amen.